Game of Thrones Season 6, Episode 8. No one is over, but we're just getting started here on the Game of Thrones Book Club here on Post Show Recaps. Hello, everybody. I'm Josh Wiggler, and surprise, surprise, Terry Schwartz is MIA yet again. Boo, Terry. Just kidding. Terry is hard at work at E3, the video game convention here in Los Angeles right now. Too busy to make it on. Uh, Our schedules just did not align for this week. So Terry E3 is happening and in her place, taking her boots off and making sure that they are the right size for his feet. First time talking about Game of Thrones here on Post Show Recaps, but certainly not his first time being involved with the Game of Thrones podcast here on Post Show Recaps. Noted book reader, big fan of the books i think fan of the show but i guess we'll find out here on the podcast alex kidwell is hopping in the mix alex what's going on yeah how's it going uh big blindside Blind alex this, you yeah. get alex this week yeah How, uh is yeah it, is it spelled weirdly because of westerosi spelling is it like a-l-y-x kidwell uh yeah we'd go with like an extra x at the end or something like that <laughs> yeah <laughs> sir alex sir alex what's going on uh, not too much. I'm excited. Yeah, you know, like you said, uh, a lot of times I'm behind the scenes on these podcasts. A man is no one man. on these shows, so yeah. it's exciting not- to. Uh- <laughs> you are not no one. Uh, you may be the broken man because of how late you have to stay up to help us with that <laughs> stuff. But Alex, if you guys don't know, uh, obviously from all the Big Brother podcasting, is the man who saved my life on the Fear of the Walking Dead podcasts this past <laughs> season as well, stepping in for me there. Alex is always with us on Sunday nights, getting your questions collating everybody's questions so we can't do what we do without alex so i'm really psyched to have you here on book club because you and i have never really geeked out about game of thrones together i know this is crazy josh this is like a a personal goal for me because like the game of thrones podcasts were you know just are always a highlight for me before i was ever really involved with push on recaps and rob as a podcast so yeah this is a uh a guilty pleasure for sure all right so we will have a very good time guilty or innocent talking about (laughs) no one the eighth episode of season six we are talking about this as always here's the spoiler warning this is the game of thrones book club where we talk about game of thrones from the perspective of people who have read the books and therefore anything that george R. R. martin has written is relevant here we are able to talk about all of that stuff so spoiler alert is in full effect anything from previews for upcoming episodes of game of thrones that is also anything from interviews we can talk about here so if any of that sounds dangerous to you get on out of here otherwise stick around alex this is our first time talking game of thrones so let's just get a baseline for how you're feeling about the season you are somebody who is a big guy with the books you love the books how are you feeling about all the changes how are you feeling about going past the books all of that good stuff uh, you know, I really do. I credit the book club podcast for really helping me, uh, you know, get in the right frame of mind I think, for this season. Yeah, it was, it was very, very valuable therapy for the off season. I think, you know, Terry made some great points. You made some great points. I think the real takeaway was, look, we knew we knew this season was going to be moving fast. It was going to pass the books. It was going to give us stuff like a, uh, a serious pace that maybe we weren't going to be ready for. But you know, all we could do is prepare as best we could and, you know, enjoy the ride to a degree. And, I, you know, that's what I'm doing. So I think this season has been uh, – I'm cautiously cautiously optimistic going forward. I've been enjoying it. Yeah, uh, but definitely things that you have not enjoyed so much. And you don't have to be shy. I know this to be the case. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I mean, there's definitely some things that have come up where it's like, eh, you know, certainly we talked about the, uh, you know, the Arya stabby stabby of it all and uh-huh. how quickly, how quickly does a Roose Bolton go down versus, you know, Arya and her ability to, 
you know, do a lot of parkour not that long after. Some questions to be answered. I was thinking about this a little bit in terms of like, yeah, I mean, you could you could throw a lot of stones at the idea of Arya has been like mercilessly stabbed by the waif. And then the next day after some soup and some bandaging from Lady Crane is Jason Borning all over Bravos. Uh, but isn't she on Milk of the Poppy? Like, didn't she get Milk of the Poppy the night before? And isn't Milk of the Poppy, like, this insane painkiller? And isn't it possible that she wakes up the next day and she's like, I feel great! Uh, Or at least I feel so numb that I don't feel the pain. Is it possible that she is just, like, on a mixture of adrenaline and crazy painkillers that enable her to do all the awesome stuff that she does in the subsequent day? You know, I always thought Milk of the Poppy was like the opium of Westeros, but you're describing it more as like the PCP of <laughs> Westeros, where just, I feel no pain. Well, like, it's like, it's like the ambient thing where like, if you stay awake and you start like tripping, maybe it's like the next morning, like suddenly you feel awesome. Obviously, I haven't done a lot of PCP <laughs> or opiates uh, <laughs> based on my confusion of how Milk yeah. of the Poppy might work. Well, I think, I don't know. I mean, the other possibility I've seen floated out there is... uh you know, milk of the poppy, you know, is one of those things that, you know, knocked Ned Stark out for some indiscriminate period of time. Are we sure it was just an overnight ordeal or was that a uh, like a week long nap that we just kind of yada yada through? Right. That we yada yarded through the nap. Maybe it's possible <laughs> that Arya had been sleeping for a while, in which case, like Lady Crane, really cool to let Arya crash there for so long, especially because mm-hmm. she's like, we're moving on to Pentos pretty soon. Do you think that she missed the last train to Pentos? Yeah, and didn't even ask for one of those cool bra- nifty Bravosi coins for room and board or anything. No, no, she's just like accepting her. <laughs> she had no problem. Yeah, very nice. She had no problem with that. Uh, so let's let's stick on the Arya storyline because I do think one of the things you know a bunch of people didn't care for this episode or at least thought it was lower quality than some of the other episodes of Game of Thrones at large and specifically this season. And I would sign off on that. I do think you know I enjoyed the episode more than I didn't, but I think that it was probably one of the lesser episodes of the season. First off, where do you stand on that in terms of this episode's place in the grand scheme of things and its place in the season? Season six. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think you, you kind of have to agree. There's a lot of uh, what seems to be set up. I mean, we know that the next episode is the, uh, you know, episode nine, which is so often, and, and we also know from the previews that it's a lot of action. You know, episode nine usually gives us the bulk of our action in a, a given season. So it's not a surprise to see episode eight be a little bit slower, a little bit of setup. Um, but, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta go up the, uh, the roller coaster to come down, right? Right. I think the past few episodes have been a lot of going up the roller coaster and hopefully these next two are really going to be the ride downward. Cause I do think that there was some big momentum that was happening in those first five, you know, through the door, uh, and the big Hodor moment. And I think that the, that Hodor moment was so high that it's really hard to reach that height again. Uh, and I just don't think that we've gotten close to that since that moment. Um, but that aside, I think that what a lot of people in book readers especially are pointing to is the Aria story um, and how the Aria story played out on the show versus how it's currently playing out in the books. You know, the implication of warging going on in the books, that not really making it onto the show. So just kind of generally, you know, with the Aria story in Bravo seemingly wrapped or very close to wrapping at this point, do you, do you sign off on that, that just the Aria story has been somewhat of a letdown? What's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, you know, it definitely seemed like there was room for improvement, right? Like we couldn't have gotten a uh, 
a, a Nymeria dream or something in there. Like uh, there seemed like a couple spots where it might have been appropriate or, you know, wouldn't have been too much of a stretch. Uh, you know, like I definitely think the idea that all the Stark kids can warg is something that could have been useful as like a, a storytelling device or if not warg, certainly, you know, like experience the thoughts of their wolves, right. I guess you could say. I don't know if that's necessarily truly warging, but Arya definitely has some kind of connection with Nymeria, even despite the distance in the books. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, she's, like, seeing... She has that dream of pulling Catelyn out of the water as Nymeria, right. and that's, you know, we haven't gotten even a whiff of that on the show. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, I mean, you know, who knows if we will. Um Ultimately, it did seem like a, you know, for me, it's just going to come down to when this series is over, you know, and it may be very soon, but are we going to look back at certain episodes and wonder why we spent so much time on them? That's my concern. Right. And you mean Bravos in, in specific or just generally? The Bravoses, the Dorns. The, yeah, there's certain parts where you just have to wonder if the time, if the juice is worth the squeeze, uh-huh. so to speak. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that's something that Rob and I were talking about on the live show, and we talked about it again on the feedback show this week about Bravos. you know, kind of a grand total of 18 episodes in Bravos so far. Uh, who knows if Arya is still there this season before she heads back to Westeros, or if we're done with it now. But unless there's something really big that Arya is bringing to the table moving forward into Westeros uh, from Bravos, was this just are we did we just kind of spin the wheels on this character for, you know, the better part of two seasons? Uh, I think that that is the concern that a lot of people are having. I think that the points in the favor of the Bravos storyline is, first off, always cool to get some Jack and Hagar, uh, which is, you know, different from the books. It seems like he's in old town in the books and is certainly not the kindly man in. Uh, uh, from the books. Uh, but I think also, you know, Arya learning to be a better killer and being more efficient and being able to bring all of that to Westeros, that's probably a positive. But the books seem to be, like, setting her up more to, like, have have more skill as a warg and have some of that ability that she could be bringing with her back into the A-plot and that just does not seem to have been something that we got out of her on the show, which shouldn't be a surprise based on what we had been seeing with that character over the past 18 episodes. Uh, but still a little a little disappointing that that's not the direction we went in with her. Yeah, yeah, you definitely articulated that better than I did. But it's uh, it's it's going to be tough, you know? Like, I, in the books, it seems very clear that, like, she's going to become a master of the craft. And if she's going to go back to Westeros now in the show and just start, you know wearing faces and doing work, then there seems to have been a little bit of scene missing there that I guess we're just going to have to accept. Yeah, I mean, Nymeria is one of two surviving direwolves on the show right now. Uh, We have not seen Nymeria since the second episode of the first season, I think, is when she chases her away. Maybe the third. I'm pretty sure it's the second. Um, With only Ghost and Nymeria out there, you got to think that Nymeria comes back into play, but we haven't heard really anything about her on the show. In the books, there's all of this talk about Nymeria being out there with like a rabid pack of wolves and leading the pack and kind of being like the dire wolves without banners and, you know, (laughs) just being like this crazy ragtag bunch. And I got to feel like you know, the direwolves being killed off so liberally on the show to not have Nymeria come back into the fold at all. I would be surprised by that, 
but I'm also struggling to think of like, how do you get Nymeria back if we haven't really been establishing this connection between Arya and Nymeria? Yeah, it's true. I mean, short of, you know, just a random, I guess, like Frey buffet where she just kind of pops up <laughs> and attacks. I don't really a see buffet. it out either. The buffet. Yeah. Are Frey pies served at the buffet? Uh, you know, I don't think the wolves require any degree of cookery whatsoever. <laughs> I think yeah. they just make their own pies out of clothed people. Yeah, they're, everybody is a pie to them. Yeah. Yeah. A hot pie. A hot pie. Oh, no. Keep the, keep the dire wolves <laughs> away from hot pie. Yeah. He makes bread that looks like them. He's a fan. He's <laughs> that have would, to suffer that would not be great. That would not be great. But, I mean, I guess, like, if we're trying to figure out, like, so Arya says, I'm Arya Stark of Winterfell and I'm going home. And we know that so many Starks are already at Winterfell. And in the coming episode, Battle of the Bastards, for my money, the Starks are going to win. Like, probably with some cost and, you know, losing characters. But I think, ultimately, Jon Snow wins that fight against Ramsay, unless you completely disagree. Well, it seems a very depressing way to get the band back together. You know what I mean? Like, right. it, it, it has to go that way. You would, in a traditional story, the cool thing about Game of Thrones is that this has never been the traditional story. You know, like one thing that's always drawn me to the books and to the show is you'll never see that scene where, you know, everyone's in the Millennium Falcon and it's inside a worm and you're worried, but not really because all the main characters are there and you know they're going to be fine. You know, like there's always that, that Ned Stark element in the back of your mind. Right. That makes you question whether or not your heroes are actually do a happy ending after all. But I do think that there's like a turn for the conventional, uh, starting with the resurrection of Jon Snow. I think that's what kind of that's sort of the snowball on that, um, where like he's a character who defies death because he has narrative purpose and he's got more to do on the show. And now we've been seeing stuff like Benjen Stark returning to the fold or Brienne helping Sansa out, and we are seeing you know the Starks are gathering together, and I think that their odds of beating Ramsey are particularly high because they have to be in place, or at least some of them have to be in place to battle the White Walkers when the White Walkers come. And they are coming, maybe not by the end of the season, but certainly next season. Like, that has to start playing out. So with all that in mind, I think that the Starks win the coming battle. you got to imagine that Arya heading to Winterfell, if that's what she is expressing, and if Jon is there and Sansa is there and knock on wood, Rickon makes it out of there, <laughs> uh, I'm not optimistic. Um, if Bran passes through the wall and gets to reunite with those guys, you got to figure Arya will get in on that party as well, I think. But could she stop in the Riverlands along the way? Like, what's the route to get her from Bravos to Winterfell? And is there some sort of reconnection with Nymeria that happens along the way? Is that something that we could possibly see next season? Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah, she's like comes into the battle late riding on the wolf. Oh, yes. <laughs> I'm here for that. If she, she doesn't have to be a warg as long as we get Arya just like riding direwolf back. <laughs> that would be fantastic. Yeah. Wearing the face of another wolf. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as like a tribute to her fallen brother. Yeah. Uh, she's got like Grey Wind's head on her head. <laughs> no. That would be <laughs> it's a really messed up visual. Yeah, I don't know if that's a tribute anymore. That's... <laughs> I don't know how good that would be. But in terms of, you know, the difference between where she is on the show and where she is in the book, you know, the Bravo story, 
hasn't fully ended um, in the books, and we don't know exactly where she's going. Do you think that this is going to mirror at all where we end up in the books? Is Arya going to have some sort of screwing things up with the Faceless Men and, and some sort of accounting that she has to do and some sort of breaking away from the kindly man and kind of reclaiming herself? Or do you think that she is going to, like, is that ship going to sail a little smoother in the books versus where it did on the show? I gotta think it's probably similar, but I would certainly hope it's a little smoother, the transitions and everything. And, uh, you know, George has plenty of chapters to kind of make the story more seamless. Uh, I, I'm inclined to think that it probably goes somewhat similar. You know, like this, this struggle of, you know, a girl is no one. Is she really no one? That's been established in the books. And I think that it is this, it's a bit of an identity. You know, like, am I really ready to give up who I am? Ultimately, I am not. You know what I mean? Like, I I definitely see us going that direction to some degree. I just wonder, you know, what's the – is the Crucible going to be more compelling or more trying in the books in a way that they just didn't have time for in the show? Right. How do you feel about the foot chase? (laughs) Yeah, uh, the T-1000 that is the waif is Uh really relentless. (laughs) (laughs) The Terminator. Yeah. She's coming, man. Yeah. And she can impale you on on the bluntest of corners and objects. Yeah. Be scared. She doesn't turn her hands into sharp objects necessarily. Like there's no like turning that finger into like a long, sharp uh, needle. (laughs) Needles are Arya's territory. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And unfortunately, as good as the waif is, I guess she's really, really not so great in the dark. No, no, that's Arya's skill. I guess she never went through that level of training. Like nobody blinded her (laughs) or it's like just been so long that she forgot. Yeah, or yeah, maybe she never attacked any, you know, Marin Trance when she was, you know, uh, a pledge or whatever right. it is. <laughs> yeah, when she was when she was rushing the the House of Black and White. Yeah, Phi Cap of Black and White. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh so I don't know. I I share the sentiments that ultimately the Bravo story feels like it fell a little flat for me. Um I'm excited to see where Arya goes now. I think it's only a good thing that she's going to be moving closer to the main story. I'm really excited for where that goes. Um but just ultimately I do wonder what was the point of it other than getting Arya kind of back on message? And did we need 18 episodes to do that? And did we need three episodes at the start of the season of just Arya getting her, her shit wrecked by the wave <laughs> over and over and over again? Yeah, in hindsight, that was a lot of abuse for a little blind girl to take. That yeah. didn't really pay off. Maybe just to like get you really excited when Arya plucks her face off. When, when right. she plucks. Uh, so, I mean, do we think that we're done with the Faceless Men altogether? There's a lot of great theories about the Faceless Men's involvement in the books. Uh, Jack and Hagar, again, he's at Old Town in the books. There's a lot of mysticism um, surrounding the Maesters in the books, in the Old mm-hmm. Town story. And, like, maybe they do they have a war against magic that's going on? And the Faceless Men, as established on the show, even have roots in Old Valyria. That's where they started. I got to imagine in the books they are going to be a, a significant deal. There are a lot of deals that I think will be a lot more significant in the books than on the show. Yep. But in terms of the show, do you think that that's it? Do you, do you think that Arya leaving Bravos leaves us no more room for any stories with the Faceless Men? 
I think, you know, as far as the faceless men and their overall mission and kind of the conspiracy that is the maesters and all that stuff, there's probably no room for that on the show. Jockin himself, though, is kind of established as a guy to the point where, you know, I think you might see him in some respect. I kind of like Rob's theory that, like, you see Jockin in the finale or something, like, you know, like a little, uh, like, curtain call. Like, right. A one-off to just, you know, a man saw and approves or something to Arya there at the end. I don't know what it would be, but... <laughs> You could yeah, see him like just like force ghosting in the bath in the background. Yeah, yeah, or you know maybe maybe he should force ghosting in the bathroom, which sounds, <laughs> that's uh, a little different. You don't want to force that ghost. <laughs> you just want to let that go. But yeah, I mean, I, you know, I guess like what's the alternative? He just shows up with a bunch of faceless men to fight White Walkers. Like, I don't really it. see or that. That was it. You know, it's, I think it's also possible that that's just like, we're just closing that, you know, we're closing up, we're closing up shop on that. I mean, there's so many things for the books that have not made the show. Uh, there's no Aegon Targaryen story. Uh, there's no like, mm-hmm. uh, young Griff and old Griff going on here. The mummer's dragon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like there's not, there's none of that. So like any storyline that's going on with the Citadel, I mean, Sam hasn't even gotten there. Uh, we've gotten, you know, two episodes with Sam in it this season. It was so exciting that, like, he's going to go to Old Town, but we haven't done anything with that. And given that Sam leaves, you know, his, you know, he leaves Hornhill with Gilly and was already concerned about letting her, like, you know, finding a place for her to stay in Old Town, is he just going to head back north? Uh, are we even getting Old Town on the show? And if that's where the Faceless Men's destiny lies in the books, I just kind of got to figure that this was wrapping it up, that I don't think that we see it again. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's a good call. I mean, yeah, if he were to take the ancestral hearts band to Old Town, that's not too far for Randall to have to travel and find them. Right. And, you know, like like you said, the show is kind of winding down. What's there to do in Old Town? He's got the Valerian steel. He knows more than anyone else already just from what he's read. Yeah, just go back north, man. This right. is this is fine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I don't. I, I agree with you that I don't think there's time for you know glass candles or any of that kind of cool it'd stuff. Be, here. It'd be great, but I think just like when you're looking at like the economy of time and like how much show there is left, like, and you're just thinking about what are they streamlining here, what stories are they not telling, you know, what developments are going to be reserved purely for the books. I feel like that's one of the big ones. Like it feels like that's going to be a major deal in the books, which is exciting, you know, because you know one of the great concerns about the show right now is like you're. Sp- Spoiling my books. Get, you know, <laughs> stop telling me what's going to happen in these books I've been reading for years. Uh, but I, I think that that world will still unfold in a unique way when, whenever the Winds of Winter gets here. Not the episode, but the books. Uh, whenever that gets here, there should still be some big surprises in there. So I'm excited about that. Like, if the show is going to do, if the show is either going to do like a half hearted attempt at a story in Old Town, or they're really going to do no attempt at it with the Faceless Men in Old Town and with Jack and Hagar in Old Town. I think I would prefer them just not to attempt it at all, and then we get that surprise whenever the books land. Yeah, I think I'm with you. And it really speaks to what you said uh, with Terry a couple weeks ago with the uh, the great chapter, uh, the Ariane chapter, where, you know, I mean, I was someone who I think with the fifth book, I, I missed a lot of great, great descriptive detail because I was just, I want to know what happens next. You know totally. what I mean? And, and we won't have that problem going forward. So that is, you know, an, an, an kind of a nice unintended consequence. Yeah. yeah, you can take your time a little bit more. Uh, where in the episode would you like to hop to next, Alex? Uh, I think the Riverlands. There's a lot going on there. You want to go to the Riverlands? Uh, what's, what's, yeah. What should we discuss in the Riverlands? What's your, what's your number one item on the board? Because a bunch happening in the Riverlands this week. 
Yeah, well, I think uh, I'm really – I just don't know where the hound is going from here. You know, I think that's very interesting. I, You know, he's, he plays a purpose. You know, the gods aren't done with him, but what do they want him for? Right. I mean, Beric Dondarrion is saying we're going north. We're going we're gonna to fight some White Walkers. We're going to do the great battle there, and that's going to be awesome. And Terry got, quote-unquote, mega hype when we discussed the possibility of the Hound reuniting with Sansa. Like, more excited about that than the possibility <laughs> of the Clegane Bowl. Uh, and I think that that's, that's a good place to be because I do feel like we are further away from the Clegane Bowl now. Uh, with, with the Hound, you know, traveling north very likely to hook up with Sansa, I think, and very likely to be a player in the fight against the White Walkers. Put a Valyrian sword in that guy's hand. Maybe he can hook up with Samuel Tarly somewhere along the way, and he gets to use Heartsbane and watch him do some damage to White Walkers. That's going to be so cool to see if that's where we're going. That feels a little conventional, but I think also with the Hound... And where he is on the show versus the books, we have no idea if he's going to factor into the main story in the books. We have a good sense that I think the show basically confirmed it, that he's still alive, that he was on the quiet aisle, and he's the grave digger there. But is that just going to be like the cutesy wink and nod to fans who read between the lines? Or is that the setup of something that the Hound story is not finished in the books? And if it's not finished in the books, how much does it look like what's going on in the show right now? Yeah, I mean, what do you think? I, I tend to believe that we don't bring the Hound back for no reason. I, I know you you kind of like the idea of the the, the subtle, you know, uh, send off. Yeah. But I, do you really think that's that's likely? Um, you know, I do like it. It's like, and I'm not going to get into spoilers on a completely different show other than to say one of my favorite shows uh, from not terribly long ago and a show that we <laughs> podcasted about here on Poster Recaps is 24. I love 24. This is a thing that is known about me. But one of the things that I didn't love about 24 is like they couldn't let characters ride off into the sunset. Uh, you would like if a character had a happy-ish ending in season four, they had to return the next season to get blown to bits. Uh, like, you just like you had to like you couldn't just like write a character off and leave them in the universe and you wouldn't explore that character anymore and it was just enough to know that they were out there they were living their life and that was grand and that always really bummed me out i really like the idea of somebody having gone through a thing having been changed by a thing having learned from a thing and now having to live with the thing and that now lives on in your mind rather than obviously in front of you. And I think the Hound is a great example of a character where that would work really well, where he is such a brutish guy. We don't ever have his perspective to begin with, but we learn a lot from observations about him, from scenes between him and Sansa, but, uh, scenes between him and Arya as well, um, that I think that just having that quiet nod of him as the gravedigger and leaving it there, I think is a really beautiful, rare moment of peace for a character character in this story that being said this is a song of ice and fire and it's george R. R. martin's tale and happy endings are extraordinarily rare um and so would i be surprised if he were to be folded back into the story in a big way definitely not especially given the fact that he is important on the show again all of a sudden even though the show and the books don't always align and don't necessarily have to align i think that you could see him coming into play in the books but i feel like it would have to be in a different way. And I think, you know, the thing that I could really see happening in the books, and it's a good time to start breaking into this conversation, is we know that Jamie and Brienne, who have now reunited briefly on the show, are the last we saw them in the books is Brienne is leading Jamie to what is very likely a trap. 
uh, a Lady Stoneheart trap. Uh, that Lady Stoneheart wanted Brienne to go find Jamie and bring me Jamie, otherwise you're a traitor, and I'm going to hang you, and I'm going to hang Pot, I'm going to hang all these people. Um, and it looks like Brienne caved in to that request. Uh, and so now we've been left wondering, ever since 2011, holy crap, is Lady Stoneheart going to kill Jamie Lannister? Um, if the Hound is in the Riverlands, and if like renegade members of the Brotherhood without banners killed his flock on the show, could something similar happen in the books that causes the Hound to go on a rampage? And could that rampage come at a very well-timed opportunity to save or to assist in Jamie and perhaps Brienne as well surviving an encounter with Lady Stoneheart? Is that a way that you could draw the Hound into the story? Yeah, you know, it's an interesting thought. I, I After this episode, I really felt like, oh, Barrick's back. There, we can't be getting Lady Stoneheart. I mean, that – how can you resurrect her now? She's been dead for four seasons or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, I, so, But then I, I have read that a lot of people did see it as almost – you know, more signs that we are going in the direction of Lady Stoneheart. So I'm, I'm surprised that I had like a, such a violently different take from a lot of people. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm shocked that Barrick is still in the picture, but it's, it's, I guess I see what people are saying. Like, it's not impossible. I'm just, you know, they did imply that, you know, they kind of, how long can you leave her in the river? Not this long. <laughs> Some long. other red priest would have had to have come along or like they have Lady Stoneheart tucked away and Beric didn't give his life for Lady Stoneheart or something. Uh, but she can't have just been like marinating yeah. in the rivers. You know, we know how much fishes love to marinate, uh, <laughs> but not this Tully. I don't think you can marinate that long. No, too long, too long. But you're right. I mean, we did. We got some feedback this week from Derek Blaze, who had written in a really long comment about uh, possibly Lady Stoneheart. Let's just read it in full really quickly. Derek wrote in and said, I wanted to talk a bit about the Brotherhood without banners. I think this episode drove us further away from a possible Clegane Bowl. However, I think we moved firmly in the direction of getting Lady Stoneheart. Beric and the rest of the Brotherhood make a point to mention several times that Beric is still around for a purpose. I feel like that purpose is to drive us toward Lady Stoneheart taking over his role as leader. The show wouldn't make a point to mention that so much if he wasn't going to be involved in something greater. And what purpose could the Brotherhood really serve on the show without that storyline? Furthermore, I think the fact that the Hound is now potentially involved with them strengthens the idea of a Lady Stoneheart reveal. There's so much depth involved in a Lady Stoneheart-Sandra Clegane encounter. Clegane will reveal his interactions with Arya, and in turn, this could conceivably set us on a course of a double reunion between Arya and the Hound, as well as Arya and what has become of her mother my prediction is that lady stoneheart arrives in episode 10 of this season as one of the big talking points going into next season what do you think and if i'm wrong then what is the purpose of this brotherhood storyline so what's your take on what derek is tossing out there there's a lot to chew there and really that last line what is the purpose otherwise is a good question uh you know i think your theory about you know they're heading north maybe it's just you know to lump them into the you know the great war to come you know i mean thoros clearly is someone that has you know, a little bit of insider info when it comes to this stuff. There's not a lot of those people in Westeros right now. Uh, if there's going to be more, you know, red priests or people with knowledge of prophecy and stuff, they'd have to come, uh, they'd have to do some pilgrimage from the east, I right. think. So, so that makes Thoros relevant to any potential war in the north. Um, but, you know, the Lady Stoneheart, it's an interesting theory. I could see how we could get there. I've liked the idea that, like, now that they've, 
you know, broken the suit of resurrection on Jon Snow now that it's in play for other people. Like they wanted that impact there. So it's it's potentially in play going forward. I like that thought. I just uh, I'm still skeptical. I've been burned too many times, Josh. That's what we've been, that's what we were saying last week was like, if it doesn't happen soon, like if it doesn't happen this season, it's never going to happen with Lady Stoneheart until next season. When we are <laughs> once again at that place where it's like, I think we're getting the Lady Stoneheart. Um, so I'm of the mind that, you know, the, the continued survival of Beric Dondarrion makes this pretty hard to see. Because as you point out, like, it's been what now? It's going to be like three years that Catelyn Stark was just like, you know, in a river. And like, I mean, the good news of that would be that like the Lady Stoneheart of the show would be so much grosser than the Lady Stoneheart of the books. It yeah. was already disgusting. Like, like half algae. Yeah. And like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like one of those guys from uh, the second Pirates of the Caribbean movie with right. all like the yeah. you know, stuff growing off him. Right. Exactly. Like she's part of the ship now. Part of the ship. Yeah. Like I feel like, you know, like she's already like closing her throat hole in the books in order to talk. So like she's already got like decomposition going on there she would like be sub subhuman on the show if she were to come back now unless she's already alive and we're gonna see like barrack and thoros now that how now that the hound is like part of the inner circle or is part of the brotherhood now it's like all right let's let you in on our secret here's our real leader uh but it just i don't i don't see it i think that barrack being alive is the real myth buster for me yeah right i mean yeah the, the whole mythos of lady stoneheart stoneheart living is that barrett gave up life number you know 615 or whatever right, it was so right. if he's not willing to make that sacrifice then what's the you know what what brings her back right um but i do think you know in terms of the purpose of the brotherhood and i do think that they are going north that's what they express on the show um so you could see them joining the fight uh we do know that barrett gives his life for catelyn stark in the books um so maybe there's still a character out there that he would give his life for so could we get like a dramatic moment where i don't know sansa is like killed and beric dondarian gives his life for sansa or something like that or some other stark some other stark sibling and could it be that the books will somehow have this same sort of idea at some point where um, the purpose of Lady Stoneheart ultimately is to see one of her children again, to see Arya again, and Arya is greatly wounded or on the the cusp of death or is dead, and Lady Stoneheart gives up her afterlife so that Arya could live. Is there like some sort of mirroring that could possibly happen there? That's deep fan fiction, but I'm just trying mm-hmm. to I'm just trying to put the pieces together a little bit. No, I kind of like that idea. I mean, it's it's almost like you know. Uh, yeah, like the there's just different genetic rules when it comes down to uh, like murderous corpse existence. Existence. I don't, yeah. I don't know. It's uh, you know, I, I could I could I could go with that. I I really would love to see Lady Stoneheart. I I'd be down with uh, finagling of rules to make that happen. It'd be fun. Uh, it's just hard to see. Hard to see that like super decomposed body at this point spring yeah. to life unless she's already in action and Barrick being around really makes you wonder like is she already in action probably not mm-hmm. yeah and yeah i mean the hound's presence there is interesting you know i mean he's really the x factor in all this and i really struggle to see where he's gonna go but i really do still have hopes for him versus his brother at some point in some fashion 
<sighs> Maybe I'm being naive. No, I think I feel like we got to have, especially on the show, which is like, you know, if they had given us Serio Pharrell this week, then Terry would have been absolutely correct that this is like the season of fan service. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but like already, like there's been a lot of fan servicey stuff that has happened on the show, which I enjoy. It's fun to see Benjamin Stark as cold hands, even if that's not going to be in the books. Um, and I think that the show at the very least, if not the books, Quick Game Bowl is out there as an idea and hard to imagine um, hard to imagine Game of Thrones resisting putting the two Clegane brothers in a battle against each other. I just don't think it's going to be formal. Like, I don't think that it's going to be, come get your tickets for the Clegane Bowl. It's on sale <laughs> at 50% off. Like, I don't think that there's going to be, like, some event that's getting marketed. There's not going to be, like, a trial by combat event that's going to happen. But I think that the two can and probably will meet each other on the battlefield and something happens there. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, certainly it's hard to see how Gregor Clegane ends up, you know, going far enough north to meet up with Sandor. But then it's also hard to see how he's restricted from doing anything uh, because he doesn't seem to bleed or sleep or anything. So (laughs) good luck stopping that guy from doing something. It'd be difficult. What did you think of the Jamie and Brienne stuff from this episode? A short-lived encounter between the two of them. Uh, They got to part on much better terms than they so far have parted in the books. Yeah. I mean, it was, uh, you know, a little bit of a, I think just a testament to Jamie's character arc kind of swinging back on the pendulum the other direction. You know what I mean? It's, it's interesting to see Jamie at these um, kind of, you know, uh, intersections of his kind of growth because you, you remember Jamie from season one and he's, you know, the jerk that pushes Bran out the window. And then even in this episode, he's repeating some of the same lines, like the things I do for love, right. you know? And, and it, it is a bit reminiscent of like, you know, since Tywin has died, Jamie has been forced to fill those shoes, which is an impossible task. You know, Tywin, his, his, uh, the legend of Tywin loomed larger than the man himself ever could. And now that he's gone, people see the Lannisters as vulnerable and Jamie is doing everything he can to try to, you know, combat that, but he's just not his father and he's got, you know, soft spots that his father just saw as weaknesses. Yeah. I mean, he's a character right now where we've been past the books for a bunch of people so far, but now we are past the books for Jamie and we're like in a different place with the books for Jamie as well. Uh, the Riverland story seemingly is wrapping up. He's had his meeting with Brienne. Doesn't look like they're going off together unless he's like a much faster rower than Podrick Payne and he can <laughs> catch up to him. Uh, but where do you think we go with Jamie from here? Does he go back to King's Land? Does he go north? Where are we going with Jamie? Yeah, he's got to develop those Gendry muscles if he wants to move (laughs) that kind of speed. Yeah. I think the thing that makes the most sense for Jamie, and this is actually one of the few things I feel somewhat confident about, given, you know, where we are with everybody, is his desire to get back to Cersei at all costs. You know, I think that is the overwhelming message that he delivers to Edmure. That's really kind of what's driving him to resolve this river run situation immediately is that he recognizes Cersei's in trouble. And, you know, this was the order he was given that he must carry out before he can return. So the sooner he gets this done, the sooner he can get back to King's Landing. Now that it's done, I can't imagine that's not the direction he's going to go. I just wonder what King's Landing might look like when he gets there. Yeah. So what do you think? What's your take on this? I've been really on the record saying I think King's Landing going to blow up. 
Uh, yeah. And like I and I meant that mostly metaphorically until Terry <laughs> brought forth the idea of wildfire. Great on Terry for putting that out there. And I yeah. think that she's right on the money with that. Um, do you think that's where we're going? Do you think we're are we getting some Mad Queen Cersei coming up soon? I could definitely see it. You know, I remember back to, I guess, season two, episode nine, uh, the Battle of the Blackwater, when Cersei is this close to poisoning Tommen to keep other people from doing damage to their family. You know what I mean? And it is a bit reminiscent of that. Like, could we see a situation where Cersei, you know, despite herself, despite, you know, everything is like the indirect or even the direct cause of her son's death. Like if she causes an explosion and is unable to contain it in any kind of way and Tommen is at the sept or something like if, you know, I think her fulfilling her own prophecy, there's something beautiful there. So here's a thought, uh, and it's a depressing one, but also potentially kind of cool. So let's say Cersei um, does like wildfire the city. Uh, let's say she kills Tommen by accident. Uh, let's say she, you know, satisfies this prophecy on her own and she has really, you know, messed up King's Landing in her attempt to save everything and to like cling on to whatever power is left in the Lannister thing. And she has satisfied Maggie the Frog's prophecy. The other piece of Maggie the Frog's prophecy is the Valonqar and like the, the younger sibling is going to kill her. And she's obsessed with the idea that it's got to be Tyrion. Um, that hasn't really come up on the show, but it's a huge thing for her in the books. A lot of people are thinking that that means it's got to be Jamie because Jamie is technically the younger twin. Um, so how is, is Jamie going to be the one who ultimately kills Cersei? So if, we're, if we flash back a little bit further to the flashbacks from this season of Bran seeing visions of wildfire in King's Landing and certainly sees the Mad King there and saying, burn them all, burn them all. Um, if, we're to, if, we're to, if we're to accept the idea, that the, the idea that the wildfire in that vision is actually not the past, but that's the future and that's coming King's Landing's way. And we also see in that vision sequence, Jamie Lannister king slaying like we see like the silhouette of jamie stabbing the king in the back and then sitting on the iron throne and that looks like nikolai coster waldo uh in that scene like it looks like they didn't like get like a young actor to do it the way that they got a young actor to play ned stark earlier in the season that's a good and point i haven't thought i haven't rewatched since i've just started talking about this just now obviously <laughs> um so i don't know how vividly you see the mad king in that scene but if it's just a silhouette and the Mad King also has long hair. And if we're talking about possible future glimpses, could we see Jamie Lannister return to a King's Landing either in ruins or on the cusp of ruins and kind of repeating his own history, his own worst nightmare of this place that he tried to stop from being on fire once upon a time, now either on fire or on the edge of being on fire, and he has to once again do some uh, some regicide uh, instead of king slaying. Now he's queen slaying, and could that be an image of Jamie in the future, perhaps this season, even killing Cersei and then wearily sitting on the Iron Throne? Yeah, that really would be something. I mean, we certainly know that Jamie may get you know if he shows up to King's Landing and sees you know a crazy monarch laughing and people burning that could give him some Vietnam flashbacks. <laughs> I don't think he would enjoy that too much. So it's not outside the realm of possibility. Um, right now we know that his love for Cersei probably trumps anything, but we've seen Cersei, you know, turn on him in a death. She's very emotional and she's prone to, you know, really rejecting Jamie in ways that he has never rejected her. 
Uh, and, you know, the presence of Brienne has kind of like opened him up to maybe the possibility that, you know, she's just not in that. She's just not that into you, dude. Right. Right. <laughs> Well, I think also, you know, the things we do for love, you know, that that line that he comes back to in this episode, like, is there almost an argument that if like Cersei does something off the ra- goes off the rails, if she does something really, really nuts um, and takes out King's Landing, whether intentionally or by accident and is losing it, could Jamie, you know, could Jamie see it as like the loving thing to do to end her suffering. Tommen is gone. All the kids are gone. Uh, Jamie, I think, pretty clearly loves Cersei more than Cersei loves him, or at the very least, Cersei loves the kids more than Cersei loves Jamie. And I don't think that it's quite the same way for Jamie with his kids versus his love for Cersei. Could it be like the loving sacrifice he would make to kill her and to wear that and to like have yet another heavy burden on his shoulders of i did this horrible thing to save king's landing before and i'm doing this horrible thing to save my sister now and both things were like soul crushing ultimately um i wonder if history could repeat itself in that in that way yeah you know what's weird and i'm sure this is nothing but you know i never would have thought of this until hearing you describe it the way you just did it almost sounds a little bit like that prince that was promised prophecy doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, like the the whole Azor High thing is like, uh, you know, stabbing, stabbing. What is it, her name? Nar- Narcissa. Nisa. Nisa. Yeah, I'm thinking Narcissa Malfoy for some reason. <laughs> get, get your Harry Potter out of my Game of Thrones. Um, a little more, a uh, little more ruthless. Narcissa. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Uh, yeah, that would be interesting. And one of the cool things about the story is like multiple people being able to satisfy different conditions of prophecy. Yeah, uh, that would certainly, you know. That would be Jamie's cross to bear on on that in that regard. We've had um, you know a lot of people be transformed by the deaths of significant others on the show already. In Danny with Khal Drogo, uh, John with Egret, even if he's not the one who directly kills her, he's certainly you know part of the war that kills her. Um, Tyrion and Shay, even though Tyrion doesn't look so great in that moment, that's kind of a bad moment for Tyrion, but he's definitely changed afterwards. This would be a huge change for jamie if he were to kill cersei in this way yeah yeah i mean that's that's the kind of thing that alters the character forever and i think jamie has been one of the few characters that really has deviated drastically throughout the series in terms of you like him do you like him i don't know maybe now i like him i don't like him he's doing all kinds of different things at least on really, the show because it's like an upward trajectory for him in the books and on the show it's kind of like Meh, yeah i don't know yeah well maybe we haven't gotten to the you know the full spectrum of jamie like truly tywinning yet in the books and maybe it is coming but uh, yeah his arc to me is one of the most interesting because he's just like a guy stuck trying to do the right thing and he just doesn't always and he often doesn't know what that is you know what i mean so his 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 journey is very interesting he's not truly evil or good like so many of these great characters he's just got a very interesting and unique perspective um so yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think, you know, there's something coming that is going to be like a, a cross to bear for him. And, I, you know, yeah, having to, you know, deal with Cersei in that kind of manner, certainly very powerful. It's fanfic, you know, until <laughs> proven otherwise. It's Valyrian foil for sure. It's just something that came to mind as we were talking talking about the storyline. And I think it would also potentially, you know, it would free Jamie up to, you know, it, it would – 
it would basically it would tie up most of that storyline, I think, and it could free Jamie up to leave King's Landing and go north. And he knows Brienne is up there, and he could you know throw down in whatever fight is going on up there potentially. Uh, so I don't know, poss- possible direction that you could take it. And you got to imagine that whenever Tyrion comes back to Westeros with Danny, that he's headed north. So you get those two characters north together potentially. Yeah. Well, the cool thing about fan fiction is, you know, it's the hound on the quiet aisle. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's fan fiction until it's not. Right. So roll with it. Who knows? Who knows? Just food for thought right now. Definitely. Um, what about the blackfish? Do you think the blackfish is dead? This is a this is a question we got from Maester Goldner, who says, <laughs> so are we sure the blackfish is gone? That was some weird, oh, by the way, shit. One minute he's like, la-di-da, off the fight. It's funny because I'm old. And the next, some quote-unquote Lannister guard is telling Jamie he's dead. That ranks pretty darn high on the list of people we haven't actually seen die in my books. Uh, what do you think? Is blackfish still out there or did the show just yara yara through killing the blackfish? I feel like they did, and that's it's kind of a bummer. Yeah, because it's a bummer. To me, it was like we've like regressed to like Ned Stark season one, pr- pride for the sake of pride. I'm going to die for my beliefs, kind of thing, and it's a bummer because I thought the Blackfish was better than that. Yeah, yeah, like it would have been great to have him in the mix for the for everything going on in the North. It would be really great to have a great military commander up there. Um, but, you know, he does disappear in the books during the whole River Run sequence. We don't know where he's at after that. Um, we didn't see him die here, but I just don't know what utility it would serve for the show to pretend kill off this character. Like, where is he going to pop up that's really going to matter? Did he make enough of an impact on show-only viewers, especially right. in these two episodes where it's like, oh, God, the Blackfish is back. I just don't. Th- I don't think that... Yeah, I think that just like sort of like how they didn't show the killing of the waif, which I know certain people, including Maester Goldner, did not love. Uh, I think that they just didn't show the killing of the blackfish. And although you can't rule somebody out until you see the body drop, I feel like on this one, it seems to me that they just straight up killed the blackfish and they just didn't show us. Yeah, like they gave him the cool name, but they didn't do anything to establish him as the super cool dude that we've come to know in the books. He had awesome armor. He did have awesome armor. That's true. He did tell Jamie what was up, you know. But I mean, aside from a couple scenes here and there, um, you know, yeah, in a perfect world, I'd like to think that the Blackfish is just like so, you know, so smart that he just like dives into the river <laughs> and like swims off and yeah. you know lives to fight another day. But I don't think that's what we got here. I don't think so either. R.I.P. Blackfish. Yeah, we hardly knew ye. We hardly knew ye. Uh, last storyline from the episode is everything that was going on in Meereen. Uh, where do you think Varys is going off to? Do you like this theory that he is going off to Dorne? Uh, you know, I mean, to me, I think it's it's in keeping with the end of book five, right? It's like Varys pops up in King's Landing. He knows the Red Keep. He knows the uh, the secret passages. And he shoots Kevin Lannister with the crossbow and has his little sparrows murder, murder Pycelle. I hope that's where we're going. You think anyway. that we're going to go to the ending of uh, Dance? You think that we'll have him pop up and take out Kevin and take out Pycelle? I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think, you know, I think I've seen a couple of people speculate on like, why did Varys leave before Danny got back? Like, right. is there something weird there? Which I think is an interesting thought. 
But, you know, they had no idea how long it was going to take Danny to come back. She could have been a year. So I think Varys is, uh, he wants to go ahead and maybe lay some groundwork. Um, he knows because he's been around, he's been in the political game quite a while now. He knows that in order to establish a new regime, you have to, you know, start laying the groundwork to, uh, you know, dismantle the old regime. And I think the best way to do that is to remove the people who are decision makers who actually have some semblance of their wits. Right. And there's not a lot of those lurking around King's Landing these days. Now that, you know, Lady Elena's left and some of these other kind of more level-headed thinkers. But if you take out Kevin, uh, yeah, who, that's, who's left? It's the High Sparrow and Cersei, and it's going down, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, it'd be really exciting if the season ended the way A Dance of Dragons ended, where Varys just suddenly pops up and, like, Kevin Lannister goes to see Maester Pycelle and his throat's been slit and he just gets crossbowed in the in the belly and suddenly Varys is there and he's got his little, his little birds and they're taking care of stuff. That would be wild. That would be really yeah. crazy. Like, that would be a really gnarly way to end the season. Uh, such an awesome scene, too, because Varys is like, he says it apologetically, like, you know, I, I'm sorry, you're a good man, like, but sometimes there are good men on the wrong side, right, you know what I mean? Yeah. And that, like, it only seemed fitting, you were such a, like, a, a, a devout and loyal servant to Tywin, it only seemed fitting to give you his end, like, oh, that was great, I would love to see that recreated, for sure. I've been thinking, until Varys went away, and honestly, until you and I were talking it through, uh, that I, th- I still feel like that's coming my, I, I think the likelier contender for me, just with how the show riffs on the books, is that Kyburn would be the guy to pull mm. it off on the show, especially because like they've established rivalry between him and Pycelle. Uh and like you just know that Kyburn would love to kill Maester Pycelle. True. Yeah, yeah, and they've really established him as uh, having assumed Varys's little birds. Right. Also. So I, I, I think that my money is on that being the place where I would love for it to be book faithful and Varys pops up there. But I think in terms of getting him to King's Landing on time, um, and what ex- like you know he says like we need friends in Westeros whenever whenever Danny gets there. And I don't know if uh, you know like destroying the enemy in a covert way is as powerful as building an alliance. And we don't have. We don't have Aegon Targaryen. You know, we don't have the Griffs on the show. And in the books, it seems like the Griffs and the Dornish are going to be forging an alliance. And you could see how if the whole Fagon thing falls through, Daenerys can absorb that Dornish army at some point. That may be the shortcut way of bringing the Dornish onto Danny's side on the show is through Varys popping up there and bringing Dorne into it. So I'm kind of leaning more in that direction, although just like in terms of pure wanting to see it, I really would love to see Varys pop up in King's Landing and torch Kevin Lannister. That would be so great. Yeah, that would be great fan service. Uh, yeah, I think the Dorne, the Dorne um, theory makes a lot of sense. I mean, obviously, you know, the, the old Martell Targaryen like, contingent. never see Dorne ever again. <laughs> which I think some people would be okay with yeah. and I may be on that sure. list. I'm not sure. Yeah. But you know, I think what, you know, I, the Dornish could have saved the male heir and maybe made this transition a little easier on themselves, but you know, that being said, you got strong women seem to be coming together, you know. If if Danny gets with Yara and then gets with the the uh the Sand Snakes and stuff, that would be a very different look than what's going on in the books, but I could still see it. Yeah. What do you think about the big battle that is uh, about to take place in Marine? We're finally there. Uh, this this thing that's been like taking forever in the books. Are we are we untying the Marines not by the end of season six? 
I gotta think so. I mean, yeah, we're 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 up against it here. It needs to happen soon. Uh, I was a little hopeful we might see Zaro's own Doxos, but that guy's done. No, and, yeah, time to make peace with that. He so that was he just is, he is one of the great many things that season yeah. two absolutely biffed. <laughs> he went into the he went into the vault and he never came out again. Yeah, but uh, you've got yeah this fleet, I guess. You know, that, that was my issue. I'm like, where did the fleet come from? Because these aren't like the Miranese sons of the Harpy, but I guess it is like the Volantis, you know, Karth, whatever contingent that has just sent a bunch of, or, you know, or, or they're from Yunkai and they're from, uh, Yunkai and they're from, uh, Astapor. Right. But yeah, I mean, right. So, you know, you've got the setup now. Which is kind of where Victarian comes in in the books, where they've established a you know uh, a blockade, and Daenerys can't get anything through in terms of supplies or anything. And I think this is the time for Yara and Theon probably to uh, you know to storm through and uh, you know do their best Jack Sparrow and kind of you know all hands on deck. This is the tale of Yara Greyjoy. <laughs> I'd be very happy with that. Awesome. Uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, it's already out there. Like, the Greyjoys are like, yo, we're all going to Danny. Like, even Euron's going to Danny. Like, literally every Greyjoy is going to hang out with Daenerys Targaryen. Uh, and Yara and Theon have the best ships. They're the closest right now. I think it's pretty easy to see them just, like, wrecking the slavers and the dragons wrecking the slavers as well. And now Danny has more Westerosi on her side. Um, and then is able to just be like, all right, you guys... Clean this up. Clean up this mess. I'm going to Westeros. I'll meet you there. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I could see that. And I, I, I definitely think um, I'm, not, I'm not usually too good at predicting deaths, but something about Euron getting eaten by Drogon really, really works for me. That'd be great. That'd be really good. Because <laughs> I, I feel like something like that is going to happen to Victarion in, in the books. Like, I think he's just going to get roasted by one of the dragons. Uh, and since he's not on the show and Euron uh, is kind of a mixture of those characters, I feel like, uh, you know, the Euron of the show is not quite as dangerous or like mystical and enigmatic as the Euron of the books and is maybe about you know, probably like a quarter as brutish as Victarion, <laughs> which is still probably like 150 percent more brutish <laughs> than like the average human being. Uh, like, I feel like that's a good way for him to go. Just like some unceremonious dragon fire death. Yeah. For sure. Oh, I have a good. Qu- I have a good question for you. So yeah. we definitely saw when they're uh, they're like launching their like trebuchets from the water or whatever, yeah. and they're like starting to bring down some of the great pyramids a little bit. Do you think? What do you think is more likely? Do you think like they're actually going to do damage to Danny's pyramid, or will they damage the pyramid that the dragons are in? Because we know that during the siege, uh, like uh, Rhaegal and Viserion have escaped, and they're like flying around and like picking people off in the books. Do you think there's a chance they might like? damage that pyramid and then the dragons come out and like involve themselves because i would love to see that yeah because that's like quentin's fault right in right. the in the books is he he unleashes that and gets roasted as a result so it's like they're going to be like are the are the slavers like an accidentally cannon the dungeon like they're going to quentin cannon the dungeon right yeah like Tyrion managed to get out of there without accidentally letting them escape but right. uh surely that you know 
they got to get out at some point. Yeah. I don't know if, you know, maybe Daniel just let him out, but I, I want to see them involved. And, you know, I love the idea of just ships launching stuff and dragons dropping down on ships. That's, that's a great macro shot for me. Oh, no, that'd be awesome. And I, I think that, like, some sort of, like, the dragons are coming out to get involved in the party here. Like, that feels like that's going to happen. Um, and, I, and I think the question is what you just posed is, like, is it going to be intentional? Is Danny going to unlock them? Like, will Tyrion go back down there and be like, all right. Time to fly, kids. And Tyrion gets to ride on a dragon, and it's like the coolest thing that we've ever seen in our entire lives. Or is ever. it like, is it, yeah, literally ever? Or is it an accident and like the slavers un, unwittingly release their own demise? Um, I like both versions of that. If it's the second, if it's like an accidental thing, then let's just hope that they can tame those dragons super fast because we can't yeah. handle like five episodes of trying to find the dragons and like trying to tame the dragons. There's just no time left on Game of Thrones to do that. Yeah, somebody needs to find the horn and they need to do it fast. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Or like Drogon just has to look at them and be like, listen, if I'm cool right now, <laughs> you guys have to be so cool. Like you just have to chill out. Yeah, just lets out one like really loud scream, and the other, oh, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly. I didn't realize. Yeah. Anything else from Mireen you want to hit on? Uh, no, I don't think so. Yeah. I think it's just, uh, it's finally coming together, and it's exciting. After it all this time, are people wondering, like, is she ever going to go to Westeros? Soon. <laughs> Soon, Kelly C. Soon. Uh, what are your predictions as we're wrapping up here on Battle of the Bastards? What's going to happen in Battle of the Bastards? Uh, yeah, so I think, you know, John has to win, like you talked about. There's, you know, Ramsey isn't a secret Targaryen that's gonna, you know, <laughs> lead the fight against the oh, Long Night. Oh, that would be the you know worst I mean? twist. <laughs> <laughs> oh, who knew? It was, uh, it was, it was Ramsey all along. But, uh, yeah, no, so we can't go that route, so... Obviously, I think John has to win, but it is interesting. In the, in the preview, John seems so melancholy still. He's so, so emo, Jon Snow. And, you know, obviously dying maybe will do that to you. But I, I can't help but think that this is going to be one of those battles that comes at great personal cost. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, we won, but we didn't really – it doesn't feel like we won. You know we what I mean? We like, won, but – yeah, what's and the, what's and the, the fact butt? that there's another like Armageddon impending down on them, I'm sure it won't feel like any kind of real victory. But I, I feel like we're going to lose some people that we care about. You know, it, it does look like from the preview that one one the giant takes quite a few spears. I'm really worried for one one. Uh, he could be done done after this week, oh, which no. would be no good. Yeah, I'm rooting against that. That's a good hashtag, but I'm out on one one dying. Yeah, I really I really hope I'm wrong about that, but. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you target him first if you're a Bolton? Yeah, it's like that feel like the go-to. It's like maybe we should try and kill the giant first. Yeah, you know, bring down the giant and the rest will follow. Yeah, yeah, it's the head of the snake. Uh, yeah. yeah, I I think that you know, it feels like we got to lose a couple of someone's probably. It's like either one major character or a couple of notable characters. Like, could this be it for Tormund? Like, could we lose him here? I hope not, because I love him so much, and I want to see him with Brienne again. Yeah, what uh, if he dies in Brienne's arms? Could, this would be a different... I think that's a different show, but... Could, could, this be, <laughs> could this be where you lose Davos? Like, has Davos outlived his purpose? Like, is this... You know, was it just getting the army to this point? Um, I think that they've really leaned on him for this, like, the dead are coming thing. So for him not to see that would be really disappointing. But maybe he dies winning Stannis' war. 
Yeah, I could see that. And, you know, I, I kept thinking they were saving him for the Manderleys, but I'm I'm at the point now where I don't think Manderleys are mattering. So, uh, Are you out I, on I, the Grand Northern conspiracy on the show, or do you think that's still in play? I think I'm out on it. I just think there's, you know, we're already at the battle for Winterfell. Yeah. You know, if we were going there, we'd see some machinations. Like, we'd see that, you know, the the Umbers doing their, like, one brother is in Winterfell while the other brother's with Stannis kind of thing. Like, we'd see some groundwork laid, I think, by now, and we haven't. Yeah, not enough anyway. Yeah. Rickon could be in trouble, you know? <laughs> Yeah, Rickon's probably in some trouble. Ramsey strikes me as that kind of guy that, like, you know, he's not – he's spiteful. You know, he'll, he'll be, like, losing the war and be like, well, I'm going to take Rickon at right. least. You know what I mean? Like, oh, that jerk. Yeah, I think that could be the big cost of, like, yeah, we won Winterfell, but we didn't save our brother. Um, I know some people are thinking, like, this could be it for Sansa. I would hate that. That would make me so angry <laughs> for Sansa to have been so awesome this season. And then, like, just to get knocked out at Winterfell would really suck, I think. Yeah, the only way I'm okay with that is if we're going with your theory of Lady Sansa Hart. Oh, that would be all right. I'm down with that. Uh, that would be that would be good. Uh, yeah, it would have to be a temporary kill. Couldn't be a full-time kill. Yeah, um, but then it, it raises questions about who rules. Because can a corpse be, you know, Lady in the North? Right, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably not. The corp, the corpse in the north, <laughs> queen corpse. Uh, so I don't know. I think you know whoever it is, somebody's not making it out of this one alive. I think Ramsey's done for. I think this is going to be the end of the Bolton storyline. Uh, yeah. In terms of good guys, I feel like you got to lose, you know, at least one or two like faces. You know, people that we know. It could be. I would. I would lump one one into that. I think one one could be somebody you lose here. Uh, yeah, but um, like I think it could be as big as like losing Davos, which would suck. I would really hate that. Yeah, uh, I do feel like still there's a little bit of you know resolution to come with you know the Davos Melisandre Shireen thing, right? right? Like I, I don't know if that'll pay off for us or not, but again, like like we always say, if it's gonna happen, this is the week. Yeah, I think so. I mean, they're at the they're at the Stannis camp right now. Like it's like the sense memory thing. Like if Melisandre yeah. is ever gonna feel the need to confess, this is a good place to do it. Uh, and especially before like a great war, and if they could like settle up, if they could come to some terms on it, and then there's like a death on the battlefield. That feels like that has some weight to it. So yeah, I would I would look for that to be resolved this week if it's ever going to get addressed, or or maybe Rob is right and uh, it's just never brought up again. Yeah, could be. But yeah, Melisandre strikes me as another character who like, you know, your your job is done a bit. I guess right. Like, right. There's there's a new red priestess in town. She's more attractive and therefore <laughs> probably a thousand years older. So <laughs> I think that's a thing. Yeah. Like the more attractive they are, the more ancient and uh, powerful. Right. <laughs> So it's like Thoros of Mir secretly like five. <laughs> yeah, he's the Benjamin Button of Red Priest. <laughs> Benjamin Button is back. <laughs> yeah. So I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it. I'm really pumped for these final two episodes. I think that uh, there's a lot that could happen, especially with the finale being called The Winds of Winter. That's very exciting. Yes, for sure. Uh, yeah, you know, we're not getting our Winds of Winter in paperback form anytime too soon, but... We take solace here. How great would it be if the book dropped on the same day? Like, uh, like don't, it gets lemonade out there. Don't tease me, Josh. Lemon don't cake. Do that. that would be that would be the real life equivalent of lemon cakes for sure. <laughs> that would be great. Uh, anything else while we got you on Game of Thrones before we sign out here? Uh, 
Burn them all, Josh. Burn them all. All right. Burn, burn them all. Burn them all. Burn some Twitter love to Alex's way, at Alex Kidwell. Alex, what are you up to? Big Brother is about to launch here. You're going to get in the thick of that, I assume. Yep. Uh, my sleep schedule is about to get very, very non-existent because yeah. Big Brother is coming back. We're covering it on RobHasAWebsite.com. Live feeds are going live on June 22nd, at which point I'm going to be... Uh, surrendering my summer for the most part. <laughs> Do you sleep at all during uh, live feed season or are you just up the whole time? I, I, I've learned that like the most effective solution is to take the schedule of the house guests. So a lot of times, you know, it's a young group and they'll be staying up late. So I'll stay up late and I'll sleep in, uh, rare seasons. There'll be people who, you know, will keep a more normal schedule and then I'll try to do that. But I, I tend to, you know, after a week or so, I see what the pattern is and when like the important discussions happen, sometimes that's three in the morning. So if you need to be up for that, then that's what you got to do. Oh my God. You're a wild man. All right. So that's what Alex is going to be up to <laughs> this summer. He will also be with us in spirit at the very least on every sunday night episode when we do these live shows so give alex a big thanks we couldn't possibly do these shows without him uh i'm on twitter as well i'm at round howard subscribe to what we're doing here on post your recaps post recaps.com slash got itunes for our game of thrones only feed or for our main feed post recaps.com slash itunes alex thank you for stepping in uh terry thanks for nothing for stiffing us with the bill once again uh but terry will be back next week talking about the battle of the bastards really excited to get into that with her alex thanks so much man this was great yeah absolutely my pleasure josh a lot of fun talking some got with you today awesome all right take care everybody bye